uh, Ellen and Jeff. I got quite lost in listening to that. One of the great advantages of having been there several times is you can actually see it. You can see the other side and you can see uh, where they are. But I'll uh, refer to that um, in just a minute. Um, This morning, (laughs) it's often ducks on a pond here. You know, the vicar's just gliding around, Mrs Vicar's gliding around, Kieran and Barb are gliding around, but the little feet are going like crazy. So this morning, um, Cheryl's really quite unwell. Joan, it's good to see you here. Bless you. It's lovely to see you. And um, a head cold. Um, And she said, look, we've practised songs, but they sort of rely on her capacity to carry the song um, and that can be quite tricky some of the songs so um, uh, bless the musos this morning you know changed all the songs at uh, 7.30 this morning um, yeah you know they, they work hard you know they practice every week uh, our musicians and, uh, and they're so, so gracious about the way they bring it to us it's never a show or a performance or about them Anyway, um, we're going to sing uh, as we go from here today that we ought to turn our eyes towards Jesus, which really sums up everything about today. Turn our eyes towards Jesus. And uh, we have a prayer team, faithful men and women, who pray before this service. So we changed the song this morning. Later on, we're going to sing Turn Our Eyes upon Jesus and I just noticed that the prayer team this morning in praying for us they write down sometimes it's a bible verse that they just get a prompting of sometimes it's a little picture of something and they give it to say me to discern it and to bring it to you or not as I see fit but I noticed the first line says turn your eyes upon Jesus I don't know what the probability of those things are I suppose we are a church and whatnot so but I think maybe God would have us hear that so thank you, prayer team. Um, you know, your, your, your labour is not in vain. And uh, God's word to us um, this morning is, um, is already, you know, he's speaking already in word and, as we would say as Christians, by the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, it's been, a, been quite a week, um, a sad week, a devastating week, really, and I found myself thinking about, you know, who do you travel with? Who are your safe people? Um, you know, who holds you and with whom do you travel and where do you go? Um, as you get older, and if you're very young, I don't, I don't see many of us being too young here, but as you get older, uh, life becomes much more of a journey than a destination. Uh, when, you were, when I was younger, uh, most things were a destination. You know, I was going to the footy. Uh, I was finishing school. I was getting the girl. You know, it was a destination uh, kind of thing. Um, But now, with so much sort of water under the bridge, so many unexpected twists and turns, uh, it's much more of a journey. And, you know, I thought it would get easier. 
but it's actually kind of getting harder. How's that? Who would have thought that? You know, we were supposed to be cashed up, you know, whatever, uh, you know, putting up our feet and it was supposed to be so much easier, but it's actually more complex and kind of more grown up. Who wants to be a grown up, for goodness sake? It, it seems less in our control quite often. And, <laughs> and the hurts can be really arbitrary. It's like you're just plodding along and whack. Where did that come from? I don't know if that resonates with you. But you know, when I open my Bible and read the Old Testament, particularly, it feels like that life for grown-ups that hasn't quite turned out, certainly the way I would have written it, uh, if I was running the show. Now, if you are visiting us or haven't been here overly regularly, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of 1 Samuel. Goodness me, if, if ever there was life for grown-ups, it would be 1 Samuel. And we've been looking uh, under the theme of looking for a leader. And obviously King David, or the, the one who becomes a king, uh, is anointed by Samuel and then is really oppressed by his increasingly sort of psychopathic father-in-law, Saul. Um, and it's quite a story. But I thought this week we'd do three things. The first thing we'll do very quickly is we'll look back. So what have you got out of it? You think about what you've got out of it over the, the weeks. Look back. Then I thought we'd look in just to chapter 23 for a few minutes. We're not going to do the whole nine yards on it. Just a few minutes. I want to show you really one thing from chapter 23. And then we're going to look at the gospel reading today, looking out. So firstly, we're going to look back. Well, I suppose, you know, you think about what you've kind of got out of it. Um, As I look back... Uh, one of the things that I just can't escape is this thing that you might call the, the sovereign hand of God Almighty. Um, David will be king, Saul can't stop it. But it's interesting because we say, oh, well, you know, is, are we just automatons, God's just driving it and we just do whatever we do and, and he, but he really is, is sort of almost robotically controlling it. No, we only actually see it looking back. You know, it's utterly free and unsafe heading forward. But so often uh, when we reflect and look back, we can see the woofed and the weft of God's weaving uh, life together. So very much seen the sovereign hand, the, the storyteller crafting the story to that effect. Another thing that we've seen is the human condition. We could get all sort of theological about sin and and the like, but we learn a lot about just humanity, what it's like, and there aren't many surprises there. Um, I suppose I would put it like this. We see fear, we see jealousy, we see covetousness, weakness, willfulness and vanity. But then we also see kindness and compassion 
and humility and family at its best and loyalty and protection and courage and, and devotion and prayer. So we see the human condition uh, writ large in the passages we've been looking at in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. That's a mistake because I was in a hurry. We see uh, friendship and covenant, primarily between David and Jonathan. To think that David's best friend is, is his oppressor and pursuer's son. I mean, that's biblical, isn't it? You know? That's the stuff great epics are made out of. But Jonathan is just magnificent throughout these chapters. And he's also so determined uh, to make God's purpose happen at his own cost and the cost of his future and his family's uh, dynasty that Saul's son, King Saul's son, should shine when his father doesn't is, uh, is an incredible thing. So the sovereign hand of God the human condition, friendship and covenant. And also what I'd put there, God with us. But um, it's someone else's and Phil's just taking it away. (laughs) As he's wont to do. But uh, God with us. I spoke last week about the hovering God and we saw, you know, they're big words, I know, but we saw people being provided for. Um, we saw uh, through Ruth's family line the providence of God, where something that had happened well over 100 years before was part of David finding salvation, really, being rescued. <clears throat> and we saw um, David feigning insanity amongst the Philistines in Gath, and, uh, and then later on, him writing psalms of praise. So as he looked back, he could see God in, in his life. And really, he had a tough life. It was, in many respects, we'd call it, well, what an awful life. And yet this, this is the life of the great king of God. So we see these things looking back. And it's only looking back that it comes clear <clears throat> and we go, Wow. Uh, and praise flows out. So there's some of the things um, looking back that I saw. I wonder what you've seen over the last couple of weeks, if anything. And it's often just a just a kiss of the divine, just one little thing that you take away. Now, just briefly, let's look in. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Sorry. Let's look in. Uh, so we're looking in uh, around this text of chapter 23. What the context is, is that uh, King Saul, uh, you know, the, the, the protector, the guardian, the, the hero of Israel, is pathologically pursuing um, <clears throat> the one who Samuel has anointed to be the next king, David. Um, the text says that, that God had left Saul and was with David. And the story <clears throat> has this Saul and David conflict but it has one other <coughs> pardon me, key participant um, 
that is the other great obstacle to Israel's success. So if you think about it, can you think, who's, the, who's been the other great obstacle? Saul, to David, the other great obstacle? The Philistines. The Philistines are the other great obstacle uh, in 1 Samuel. It's... Uh, an interesting thing, David has a band uh, of sort of ruffians who've come close, two or three, four hundred of them, and uh, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're identified by their dispossession. So if you're feeling a bit isolated, lonely, dispossessed, you'd qualify for the band, a bit depressed, you'd be fine. The indebted, those in debt, yes, some of us would qualify, um, they were in the band and the despairing. They were the qualifications. It'd be happy round the campfire, wouldn't it? You can just imagine it. And I can imagine them sitting round the campfire making up dad ditties. And I can imagine dad round the campfire uh, making up a ditty like this. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If Saul doesn't get you, the Philistines must. So there you go, you can take that one home. That can be on, on the fridge tagline. You can have that one for free. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If Saul don't get us, the Philistines must. And that's kind of how it was rolling. One Sam, Samuel ends in unspeakable tragedy. Uh, Jonathan's dead. I'm, I'm sorry it's such a happy morning, but it's the Bible. Jonathan's dead. And Saul, uh, after being mortally wounded in battle... Uh, ends his own life by suicide. It's just awful. And as we've discovered, I mean, lives are ending in despair today. It's awful. And people don't cope with the challenges of the human condition well at all. And hopelessness is such a disease that has such terminal consequences. So that's kind of the the weight of, of where we're at. But the storyteller in chapter 23 is incredibly intentional. You think, oh, it's just a story. No, it's not just a story. And so this morning, rather than wind through all the ebbs and flows of the story, which you can read for yourself, I want to show you what the storyteller wants you to see rather than just the story. Now, I don't usually do this, but this is what's under the story. It goes like this. In the first five verses, there's an unexpected saviour. Now, there's a village. Well, I call them villages because they're not much bigger than that. When you thought of a walled city in Israel, look, it was probably about the size of this church block. That would be a city. A couple hundred people, maybe a thousand. And most people would live outside the city walls, but they'd come inside the walls of Keilah, the city when there was danger, a walled city. And this city, now if I'm Jerusalem and you're south of Jerusalem, John, you're Bethlehem, okay? And around about where Lynn is is a place called Hebron, that's where Abraham came from. And all you good Anglicans behind there is where David is right now. 
in 1 Samuel 23, sort of over that side a little bit more. So Keilah is sort of, sort of a bit behind you, Paul, probably about where Jan is. And <clears throat> this is Saul's town. It's an it's a Israelite town. And the Philistines, remember that other enemy? We hear that they're coming to attack this town. Now, who should defend Keilah? Who should defend Keilah? Saul should defend Keilah. But what's he busy doing? Trying to kill David. So who turns up to actually defend Keilah? David, the one that Saul's chasing. It's, there's something just kind of wonderful about that. Wrong and wonderful about that. So there's an unexpected saviour, and it's not Saul, who it should be. It's David, who's being pursued by Saul, whose ruffians go and protect Keilah. And you think, isn't that fantastic? Until you get to verses 6 to 13. Because David... You may remember, you may remember just a chapter before, um, there was a terrible massacre by Saul of the priesthood and one priest, Abiathar, was saved. One of the beautiful things about chapter 23 is David uses Abiathar and together they inquire of the Lord at least three times in chapter 20. There's all this inquiring of the Lord. It's a very devoted, prayerful requesting of the Lord. And so... David goes to Abiathar and says, if, if I stay in Keilah, will, will they rat me out to Saul? Will they rat me out to Saul? David's just saved Keilah. He inquires of Abiathar, will they rat me out? And God says, yes, they will. Well, isn't that just wonderful? Aren't people fantastic? An unexpected saviour, but human faithlessness. Human faithlessness. Can you see what the author's doing? And then just one verse, 14. Let's uh, read it together. David remained in the stronghold in the wilderness in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and we'll get there in just a second, Saul sought him every minute of every day, but the Lord did not the Lord did not give him into his hand. Now folks, have a look at that. An unexpected saviour, human faithlessness, divine faithfulness. Doesn't that look like a thing? Doesn't that look like a thing that we call the gospel? The good news of Jesus? Where the divine faithfulness of God reveals himself and his son into the lives of humanly frail, treacherous and faithless people and a saviour comes who is completely unexpected and completely unlike what anyone expected to bring salvation. And here we see it a thousand years before. And then the story goes on. We have human faithfulness. 
This is where Jonathan... It's interesting because Saul searches for David and can never find him. As soon as Jonathan goes, search, he finds him in a blink. There's no problem. Jonathan search. And by the way, we're not talking about millions of miles here. Honestly, they knew this land like the back of their hands, even though it was the wilderness. There were actually no trees in the wilderness, just limestone caves. So it would have been hard to hide. Human faithfulness we get. Jonathan searches successfully and there's this lovely phrase, he helps David find find his strength in God. Don't we need that today? We need brothers and sisters who are helping each other find their strength in God. It's just such a beautiful picture. So we find Jonathan offering faithfulness to David. And then, just for a change, human treachery. And you'll see how these, these things um, contrast one another as the, as the narrators created this story. David's gone to a place called Ziph. Now, David is uh, the Lion of Judah. Ziph is uh, an Israeli town in the heart of Judah. These are David's people. So we inquire of Abiath of the priest, will they rat me out? Yeah, they will. His own people. His own people will... They actually go to Saul and say, hey, you know, uh, for a price, we'll tell you where he is. His own people. And then there's an unexpected saviour. It's a ripper this time. It's the Philistines are the unexpected saviour. And I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, here's the conundrum of this Old Testament life under God. Here's the conundrum of the life I live under God. So what's the point? Or at least what's the point I want to make the point? The point is that God is just as much in the down as the up. He's there in the treachery and the faithlessness just like he is in the friendship uh, faithlessness, just like he is in the faithfulness and the friendship. People are unreliable and treacherous, we've discovered in 1 Samuel. There was Doeg last week, Kela, Saul, Ziph, but there are exceptions. And Jonathan is this wonderful exception. He gives us hope and he gives us this gospel perspective. And if you look at Jonathan, the things that he does in this chapter... He seeks David and he finds him. Just, ever heard that before? Someone seeks and finds? He helps David find strength in God. Hmm, who does that? He says, do not be afraid. Well, there's another one that's familiar. He prophesies, you shall be king over Israel. He covenants before the Lord and he sacrifices himself for his friend. So, looking in, looking in, that's how the author wants it to work for us. So let's finish with looking out. Well, David's had a rough week. Um, Like David, some of you may have had a rough week. Um, I know that mine has been... You know, if only I could not care about you. If, if I could just get Teflon, you know? Ah, stuff you. You know? 
Life would be so much easier. It's such a dangerous thing, love, isn't it? Oh, and never start praying for someone. It's a terrible thing to do because that really gets you in the heart. Like, you start praying for people, you actually start to love them and care for them. You get changed when you pray for people. So don't do that, whatever you do. That'd be a really bad idea. So, like David, I've had a a rough week this week on a personal level, on an emotional level. And the wind, I'm now turning to the New Testament passage. But I should tell you where we are. You're down south, now I'm in Jerusalem. Now we're up where the flowers are. Okay, we're the north end of the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. It's 25 degrees. Lovely. You know, they grow dates and bananas up there. It's very nice. A little bit humid. This is where they are. And there's this lovely lake with the water shimmering on it. And, and actually, great fishing in the lake. Extraordinary abundance in this lake. It, it produces fish like you wouldn't believe. But... There's this squall. This happens at a certain time of the year. Very suddenly, winds come up from the south of the lake and stir it up like six, eight-foot waves on quite, quite a small lake, really. And <clears throat> the wind and the waves for me this week have been treacherous and quite overwhelming, and I'm sure they have for some of you. But here's the thing. The Gospel reading this morning declares that despite the wind and the waves... They obey Jesus. You ever thought about that? Don't worry what the wind and the waves are. They obey Jesus. That's an interesting idea. So this week and any other week, each one of you is a boat, right? You're a boat. Note that Jesus gets into Jenny's boat. It says it there. He gets into the boat. The boat belonged to Peter, James and John. He gets into their boat. Tim, he's in your boat. Isn't that humble? That the King of Kings gets into Robert's boat. Geisler's boat. He's in your boat today. Now, he's actually a better sailor than you, but you think you're a better sailor than him. And it's hard to hand over the reins. And it's a good question. Who's actually captaining my boat? Uh, This week I had uh, lunch with the CEO of Youth Care. We now have 430 plus chaplains in over 620 state government schools. And uh, Stanley's just been on a trip up north. And... um, I said, you know, what's going on out there? And he said, Halls Creek. He said, can I tell you a story? He says, Halls Creek. I was in Halls Creek. Has anyone been to Halls Creek? Are you going to move there quickly? (laughs) Maybe not. If if you have a choice, you might not move there quickly. Um, Stanley uh, meets the chaplain of the Halls Creek Primary School. His name is Jerome. And he said, Jerome, um, lovely to meet you. He said, you're a little younger than I thought you'd be. Jerome said, I'm 22. Oh, now he said, you've been here for a while, haven't you? Jerome said, yeah, I've been here for two years. 
So he said, you came here to be the chaplain from Perth, to be the chaplain of the Horse Creek Primary School when you were 20 years old. That's right, he said. And who's this? He says, oh, this is my sister. Oh, what are you doing here? She said, I'm doing an education assistance course. And she said, I couldn't think of a better place than to do my training placement than with my brother in Halls Creek. So here is Jerome and his sister uh, in Halls Creek. And the thing is, they're absolutely smashing it in this primarily Aboriginal school. They run a breakfast program, and that's good. There are lots of breakfast programs around, but the cool thing about Jerome's breakfast program is he doesn't just make them breakfast like most breakfast programs. The kids come and get breakfast and nick off and whatever. The, all, these, all these little Aboriginal kids come in and they set it all up and they get everything out. The kids do it all themselves, and this is not normal, folks. And then they have it together, and then the kids clean it up and do all the wash-up. And you know what's next? Shoes. Shoes. Because the kids don't have any shoes, or come with shoes necessarily. So the next thing we do is we all get our shoes, because they stay at school. It's a funny system, but it really, it really works. And there's all this kind of process of formation, of formation, because often there's not a lot of formation. And Jerome's just into it up to his neck with his sister, who are making this contribution at 22 years of age. Still, he said, why are you here? Why? He said... Because I came up here on a short-term mission trip and God said, I want you to go to Halls Creek, Jerome. That's why. That's why. You know, I don't want to think you to think about where you can get the next pair of shoes for yourself or in the next hot chocolate. I want you to think about what's happening in Halls Creek. Jesus got into Jerome's boat and Jerome let him captain it. And I just thought that was such a fantastic story. So secondly, and nearly finally, for the Christian disciple, so the first thing is Jesus gets into your boat. Will you let him captain it and prosper it and care for you there and guide you there? For the Christian disciple, we're mostly worried about drowning. We're mostly worried about drowning. But... It's the Messiah who is in the boat. He's not going to let you drown him. Do you get that? He's in your boat. Yeah, you might capsize it. You might run it onto a reef. You might turtle it or bottle it or, or, or whatever. You might. But he is the Messiah. Your rushing rapids won't drown him. You can never drown the Messiah and that's why you won't drown when you've got him in the boat and he's the captain. Finally, Jesus will wake up when the time's right. 
I had a quick chat with Kieran this week. Now, Kieran's got this chronic thing. He wasn't well when he came here. We knew that. We've been praying for him to be healed every day, that his life would be restored to full health and full capacity, but it hasn't been the case yet. And I said to him the other day, I said, mate, how how do you cope? He's, you know, he's, he's in bed today and he looks rubbish, you know, like he's not faking it. He just looks rubbish. And I said, how do you cope with this? And essentially what he said was, I know Jesus loved me and called me. And so I've got to start by looking at him. He's got to be enough. And then whatever I am and whatever I can do, I just have to say, well, this is all I can do at the moment. And and please, God, in your mercy, and Mal as my employer, or parish council as my employer, can we make this enough? Because this seems to be what the captain of the boat is allowing. And we're saying, Jesus, would you wake up and do your thing? But we discover here that Jesus will wake up when the time's right. Jesus will wake up when the time's right for his glory to be fully revealed. So that's part of looking out. We look back. You know, what's in your bucket was we look back, your historic historic God bucket. We look in, and it can be chaos when we look in, but we see human faithlessness, even treachery, but divine faithfulness coming through. And then we look out at the saviour who's in your boat. He's the best captain. You won't drown because he's the Messiah. And your rushing rapids won't drown him. He's a better fisherman and he has a bigger picture. Lord, let's pray for two people who didn't or couldn't this week know... Uh, your wonderful revelation and love that they could hang on to and cling to when hope was gone for them in in the human sense. And we think of Annabelle and Beck. And Lord, our hearts grieve. And then we think of all the flow-on effects of that. We think of all the conversations and all the whys and whats and wherefores And we grieve because invariably in those conversations we actually make it about us captaining the boat and us helping them captain the boat. We don't make it about the transforming saviour. Jesus, it feels a bit weak to say, Lord, what's going on? Would you get in more of our boats? Would, Would you help us to be better at relinquishing the reins? Would you... Would you prove yourself to us more utterly and thoroughly? And so, Lord, this day for each one of these sailors out here living the Old Testament rough and tumble of life, Lord, would you so invade their hearts and their lives by your word and your spirit today? Please save us. Please lift us. Please empower us. And please help us to invite you into every room into which we step. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's feeling low, particularly right now, Jesus, touch that particular person in a way that makes sense to them. Lift up the flagging. 
pour light into darkness. And Father, for those of us that are flying, help us to not glory just in the flight, but in the fact that we can be the lifter. Like helicopters, we can lift others. Lord, we bless you and we bless the work of your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.